Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Taking Back Our Corners, the officially unofficial podcast for We Own the City on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about episode four, just two episodes from the end here. Uh, Aaron, what'd you think of this one? I thought it was it was interesting because they really narrowed the focus down. Um, I think this is the first time that the bulk of my notes has been from a single thread. This this detective ward, which I don't think we've seen much of or heard much of. He seemed like a new, yeah. you know, kind of he was a, a new guy on the I guess one of the guys recruited by Jenkins as opposed to the the, the sergeant that we saw last week, the guy who got promoted to the DEA. Um, so he was able to kind of bring us an outside like 360 perspective on how this works from a guy who I'm not going to say he's not dirty. Right. Right. But he definitely uh, he, he's he, we're getting a perspective from, I guess, a reasonable person, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, uh, a, a reasonable. <laughs> I, I get the impression that if if the. If Jenkins were this guy, they never would have busted these dudes because right. this guy is a little bit smarter, you know, and and, right. and not as greedy. Yeah, maybe just have a little bit more, you know, civic. I, I, I don't know. I, I Like I said, it's like that's it's a crazy system if you're uh, entrusting individual beat cops on what is, you know, ethically and morally correct. Um, but uh, it, it, I think it was good. It was a good perspective because it shows like what we we're talking about last week about like, why do the policemen, the, 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 the average police, the, the presumably non rotten barrel that we're supposed to be talking. What, why do they think about this when they're seeing it? Why do they do to things? And I like that they made it, explicit there at the end where guys like you know like well if you know all this is wrong and you're not even in benefiting from it well then why the hell did you do this and i thought the ward laid out a pretty you know look well because nobody else is doing anything about it i don't want to be targeted i don't want to be singled out i don't want to be seen as mm-hmm. a narc um i'm glad that the show kind of made that explicit um because before it's kind of things that you could surmise w- what did you think of this episode uh this really cast the the people involved in a new light for me um it, a we get the uh the title being said in this episode and that scene yeah to me really like it put some light on that line in the intro that says these guys are 1930s gangsters right talking about the cops uh who are running these these rackets and i realize that's what it is right it's a racket it's it's not that these guys are like not getting paid enough and need to go get more money uh, to make this job worthwhile. It's that they see an opportunity to run a racket within law enforcement and they're taking it right. They're running this like, like they're entrepreneurs running a, a tech startup, like they're disrupting hour, the market. <laughs> right. Right. Like they, they see a niche, right. They see a place where they can get in and get theirs and they are taking it. And it, it really like when, the, when I, when I watched that final scene, of him just like sitting in the the restaurant with his friends uh talking about how like the city is ours we own it uh yeah i i was that's that's one of the more disgusted moments i've had during this series in a series full of disgusting moments yeah, i fully you wonder, understood these guys 
And and you think that like I wonder, and you'll never know. I don't know how you could do an experiment like this that's ethical. But like how I, I think a high percentage of people would do this type of behavior with these type of incentives. Like I think that's the mm-hmm. point of this show is that. This is a logical course of action. If these are the inputs and outputs that you see before you, if this is the oversight, um, that these are the rationales you'll be giving, that like you are the only thing, you're the thin blue line that stands between chaos and corrupt, then like, and, and, and you might take a bullet at any time. You might not come home with your family. The city ho- might rise up and, in support of thugs and and murderers and, 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 and you're on the wrong end of that equation as a law enforcement officer. It's like, it's a very exceptional person. Uh, mm-hmm. personified by people like Detective Souter that is going to hold up most people, even good ones like, and I, you know, I use good, you know, in, in quotation marks like this Detective Ward are going to find a way to try to drive their moral and ethical calculus between those two, those two poles. Um, like yeah. very few people are going, that's the whole, you know, it's like you always hear that it's like a few bad apples, but. Uh, that that phrase is spoils the bunch and mm-hmm. you see guys like I have no doubt that Detective Ward would have been an excellent officer and would have done the city proud in a gun trace task force and made a lot of money doing it by the way <laughs> yeah 170k if he had just, K with he, overtime he, is nothing to sneeze at that's just a shit you can tell the IRS like that's right. that's more right. money than I've ever fucking made slinging code and, and I thought yeah. we were the, 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 the grossly overpaid fat cats so yeah, like, I, I think that that's the thing. It's like you and, and it makes me wonder, like, you know, I've thought like in the last five years, like, what the fuck is up with the systemic, you know, like racism? And you talk about these racist cops and you, you hear about like some of the, uh, you know, the feds investigating like, uh, you know, different racist takeovers departments. But I wonder how much of it is just the corruption and this corruption mm-hmm. attracts a certain type and repels a certain type. And we've been doing that for like a generation or two. And like all our Metro cops are just kind of like rotten. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. Once the apples spoil the bunch, the bunch is spoiled. Right. And you can't put yeah. a bunch of good apples into that barrel and expect them to remain good. It's just like one of those things where like there's, it's just another list of the, the, the pile of problems we have in society. They're all like super hot button critical things to fix, but yet they're all mm-hmm. enmeshed and they're all entwined. And like, you know, uh, if we're going to have a resurgence of crime in this country and there is some indications that, that, you know, after historical lows we've enjoyed for almost my entire life that we're starting to see an uptick in that stuff. Like, how the hell are you going to fight that when you've got you know, you've got a bucket of dirty mop water to do it with. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's a great episode. It's a terrible episode. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the story of the show. Yeah. Uh, shall we begin? Yeah, let's do it. But first, let's take a quick break. All right. I'm I'm doing the best I can because I'm, I'm trying to there's a there's uh, I had to make some judgment calls on what is and isn't part of the federal investigation. What is the part uh, the, the the parts that it per- pertain to Detective Maurice Ward? And I guess like most of the Wayne stuff I'm going to put into here with the exception of a few things that I don't think the investigators know. Like so anything that the investigators hmm. know that's part of Wayne's story or is told from outside his POV, we're going to shove in here. And we're going to start at an odd place, which is. We haven't seen Kilpatrick and McDougal since like the first two episodes. They right. come back. The feds are starting to move forward with this investigation of uh, um, uh, Gondo and uh, these other corrupt cops involved with Shropshire. 
And they're just finding out that uh, Wayne Jenkins is the new sergeant. His sergeant got bumped up to the DEA. He's taking over. And the, the the lady investigator, FBI agent, says, you know, I know this guy. I've met him. Seems like a good guy. We should we should give him a heads up. He's walking into some kind of crazy, corrupt situation. He might get blindsided. Yeah. <laughs> and Kilpatrick and McDougal change. They, 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 they change several colors, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh-huh. they have some significant looks. And like they, the, the, the FBI is like, well, do you need to tell us something? And Kilpatrick volunteers that, uh, you know, I don't know him personally, but I see his name keep coming up. And I have him on a phone call when we saw that last episode where they can tap the phones at the jail about him being a possible dirty cop. So they're like, you know what? Let's let's hold off a couple weeks and see what comes up. Fucking good decision. But as they'll reflect later in this episode, this almost blew up the whole investigation before it even began. Yeah. And I do wonder, um, isn't there some talk in this scene of maybe stopping him from taking over the task force? Isn't that a, a thing? I wasn't sure if they were or they're just giving a heads up so that he because it's I mean, imagine if you do have because she said, well, he's a cowboy, maybe maybe colors outside the law, but he's, he's certainly not corrupt. Imagine you have this hero cop that's about to take over this corrupt and situ uh, and, you know, he's going to get my, like, you know, he's like just by association, you know, he's going to mm-hmm. be the, the head of this thing. I don't know that they were blocking him. It's more of like giving him a heads up, maybe. Maybe he wants a pass. Well, maybe he wants to pass I it the over. Guy um, from the FBI. It's the FBI. Um, uh huh. Yeah. The the tall one with the glasses or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I thought he suggested like after McDougal and Kilpatrick said, "Hey, this guy is probably dirty." Um, that he suggested like, "Oh, do we like take him off the task maybe. force, or do we?" And then they said, "Well, let's give it two weeks and see what we can turn up." I don't think that they would have the authority to to take him off or maybe as they wave him off. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think not. also like when we say the FBI, it's like I don't I think that guy is the federal uh, um, attorney assigned to yeah, this yeah. case. So he's like the prosecutor and there's like, you know, it's a okay. law and order, you know. Sure. I don't think. Sure. Yeah. So you got the FBI agents are essentially the p- cops in the situation. And the tall guy with glasses is the guy who's going to be making this case to a federal judge. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so so I just think it's it's funny. It's one of those cases where um, later you'll hear this detective ward be propounded with this question of like, how did you not know? How did you not know? How did you not know? And I think the scene is to back up his assertions like, look, yeah, I heard of Wayne Jenkins, but it was only in terms of like, man, this fucker is badass. He gets the arrest. He gets the drugs. He gets the he mm-hmm. gets the guns and he gets them the right way. Not like, oh, man, want to be on Wayne. So he's going to be the dirty cop. He's going to turn on the money spigot uh, that even the FBI agents, like from what little they knew, thought that he was like this this golden boy. Yeah. Um I did so, expect uh, with, with I guess I expected more of McDougal in this show since we started off with him and the Shropshire investigation. We haven't seen yeah. him, like you said, in several episodes. I assume at some point they're going to join up, right? Like the Shropshire Probably. investigation and like all the BT Tower or BT. I forget what it is. Baltimore Towers, Belvedere, BT, whatever. Belvedere. Towers. Uh, all that's got to come together with Jenkins investigation, right? Yeah, I think that you, they might come in as like the low level police officers that are giving testimony about because like the federal investigators have to build a case of like, well, how did the feds get involved? This is a this is yeah. not even a state. This is a this is a local matter. You know, how did the chain is so, so they have to the, the, they'll be crucial for laying that like initial 
you know, like, yeah, well, you know, like what is the probable to. cause of the FBI coming in and kicking in the door of the Baltimore Police Department and saying, yeah. you know, raid, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to flash back all the way to 2010. Uh, Jenkins explaining that he's got a feeling. He's got a special feeling about something. And his feeling is these these fellas are driving and they're black. Let, let's let's follow the case. They're black. They got a, a, a too nice a car. They're not school age. And one guy's got a backpack. Uh, that equals yeah. that equals drug dealer. Turns out, yeah, that's uh, that's the profile that Jenkins has worked up on people, I guess. And this scene starts to call in the question: Is that just a super cop uh, instinct profile he's got going, or is that just a situation where he like makes it right because they engage in a high speed? Uh, chase through some pretty nice neighborhoods. Uh, not that any neighborhood is so shitty that it, it, it can sustain a 90 mile an hour police chase through it. But like, you know, uh-huh. there's these are the type of houses the kids are going to be running in and out of into the street. And I'm like, especially when the, the central command is like, call off, do not break off this engagement. And Wayne's like, fuck this flooring it. Uh, I thought it's like something terrible is going to happen and they end the, the, the bad guys quote unquote blow through an intersection, clip some person that turns out to be an elderly man and, and woman driving. And I thought it was, this is the telling thing is like Wayne and his police officers go up to the car, uh, that they are following. And like only as an afterthought, did they investigate the civilians that got caught up in this? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them and- that will later die. And when they they first uh, roll up on these guys, they're all in plain clothes. They've got highly tinted windows with these lights that kind of barely shine through them when they turn them on because they're in, you know, not marked cars either, unmarked cars. Um, You could be forgiven in a city like Baltimore where the crime rate is very high for people thinking, oh, shit, I'm in the middle of something that's going down. Let me get the hell out of here, right? Like, sure. <laughs> not realizing that these are cops in the moment when shit's, when people jump out of vans and point guns at you. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and the thing about this is also, like, yeah, they, they it's an afterthought for these people who are in this accident, this older man or woman. Uh, the man, I think, is dead. And... He there's no sign that there's any remorse there or that I mean, obviously, he doesn't change his his habits. Right. He like he probably goes out the very next day and does the same thing over again, not thinking anything of like the consequences of his actions for these people, especially all the people are like, man, this car is clean. Sarge, this car is clean. This car yeah, they and, found nothing. And then they and then Jenkins at the end is like, we'll call the sergeant and you don't know yeah. what's going to happen, but you're going to learn what's going to happen by the end. And, and, and mm-hmm. to his credits. Wayne is looking a little nervous, like, oh, God, what have I done? I might have fucked up. But he's he's going to fix it here. Uh, to, to your point about like, this is something I've long wondered when we've got these no knock, you know, middle of the night warrants where people just like bust in mm-hmm. the door. Sometimes they say they're cops first. Sometimes they don't. Um, I've often wondered, like, what's going to happen when a very heavily armed country like the United States, like when these cops knock on either the wrong or just, you know, like. It's not that hard to use. Like you saw our misery lights. It's not that hard to get a light kit, especially nowadays to get sure. LEDs and stuff and get that. It's like I get it that it's illegal. Like the cool. Right. Well, you can't impersonate an officer. A whole lot of shit in this country is illegal and it's happening anyway. Like, yeah, I, I just there's there's going to be this nightmare situation where a lot of cops get killed. And the kit, of course, they're doing duty because they've set up again these incentives and these to, 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 to set this, this stuff in motion. 
Because, yeah, mm-hmm. this guy rolls up on you in the city, uh, even with bulletproof vests and shit. Like, you can get that stuff off, of, you know, uh, mail order. Like, yeah, oh, sure. it's. Yeah. And we just see it's like, you know, um, Brianna uh, uh, Taylor, Taylor yeah. was like an instance of that where the cops do the no knock stuff and they get re- fire got returned. People got killed. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I worry that we're in for a lot of that in this next decade. Anyway, uh, the background is that the cops are talking to this detective ward um, and uh, they also are going and getting background of other officers. We've seen this one cop, which was um, one of the police that were with Wayne. Um, we saw him being interviewed, I think, in a, the police academy in, in episode one. They're talking to him and he's explaining how, like, you're you're only you're not really supposed to chase people in high speed pursuits anymore. Um Unless mm-hmm. you've got like a life in danger and a narcotic stop is not one of those things. This old man was dead on arrival at the hospital. Um, and you see this uniformed sergeant um, on the scene kind of walk over to the car and give Wayne a, a significant look. And then seconds later, Wayne says, hey, uh, Sean, Detective Suter, uh, roll over there and check that car one more time. And it, he finds a big <laughs> If I, I, that's the thing right. is like I can't believe how lack of subtlety th- there is like suddenly yeah. there's a big bag of drugs underneath the f- the passenger car seat something that any cop would have found in five seconds yeah he didn't pull a body panel off or slash open a tire and find a pack of drugs that they missed it's just sitting there yeah um it just blows my mind that it's kind of like that blade and even Suter. It's like this the things like, you know, I want to say that he's a good cop probably is a good cop. Like his alarm bells have to be ringing like crazy on this stuff. They right. Are. Yeah. Yeah. I think they are. But like, what's he going to do? You know, they found drugs in the guy's car. Right. So. You're going to be like, oh, you planted this. You planted this way. You're going to start that shit show. Like, yeah. Are you? I don't know. Um so we begin this uh, interrogation of Mr. Ward, this detective uh, that lately joined the gun trace task force. And he starts with a statement of remorse. And I guess at the first of the episode, I was primed to be like, this guy's full of shit. And mm-hmm. by the end of the episode, I turned around on him. But he's like, seemed to me materially different from the uh, other officers where it's like he knew this was wrong the whole time. And also tried to take steps to shield himself from try to, again, find that middle ground between narking on his fellow officers and just being a full on corrupt shit bag. Yeah, no, he, he went along to get along. And in a certain way, you can understand that um, when your livelihood depends on these guys thinking you're okay. You also mentioned that the brass, protected Jenkins in a way that they didn't protect his fellow officers that worked underneath him. What do you think that was about? Probably because he gets the job done, you know, like he brings in the guns, right? Every time you see Jenkins come in with a bag or something, every cop's like, oh, hit the jackpot again, huh? There's the hero cop. There's the, there's the man. And, you know, he does pull guns and drugs off the street and people like that. And there's a line later about the numbers, right? Like as long as you keep the numbers up, they don't give a shit what we do. We but that's the, the thing. It's like by extension, like if Wayne gets numbers, don't his men get numbers too? Like I, I wondered if there was a racial component because I've started to notice there is uh, the white guys maybe. who are the ones in charge of the task force, and they have a whole bunch of black guys working for them. Yeah, and I wonder if there is some kind of like meta meta level to this where. 
well, yeah, the white guy can be the hero cop. The other, you know, the bad apples will work for him. Eh, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, it could be, but I, I do notice the pattern of like, um, you know, there, there's a thing later where Jenkins gets a call from his wife uh, about his kids and has to go deal with something. And he, he's in the middle of a bust and he tells one of the other cops, hey, you can have this collar, right? So, so there's a component of like the person who actually signs the paperwork gets all the credit or something. Sure, sure. Yeah, right. Um, so, so Jenkins is a, a superior of these other guys would be getting that credit, right? Right. Yeah. So I'm yeah, not sure. I just I I wonder if they're because like a, this is um, I've seen so far this the show seems to suggest some hypothesis or raise some concerns that will elaborate and illuminate later. So like I wonder if we're going to see more of like because because what I've seen so far is Wayne propping his guys up and puffing up, like you said, giving them collars and things like that, sharing the money in a way that the other sergeant maybe didn't. And I'm wondering. Mm-hmm. uh if like we're going to see where some of that was just for show and behind the scenes, he was like throwing people under the bus. I haven't seen that yet. I don't think so. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so we go to this, uh, this uh, Belvedere tower stop and this is in the spring of 2015. So this is right when uh, detective Ward joined the task force. Um, it's two years before they've been collared. Cause this all happened in 2017. The, the, the fed starting to roll up this, this uh, task force. They roll up on two guys that are just minding their own business, apparently at the towers. Uh, Jenkins walks out and he's got this, he's got this, uh, his spiel. I'm a federal officer where we've got wiretaps in the neighborhood. You guys aren't a target, but we know there's a drug dealer deal going down there. We smell marijuana. So we're allowed to do everything we're about to do, which is toss your car for contrabands and drugs. And if they don't find that, then you'll get to go. But they're also going to rob you. One hundred percent, they're going to rob you, <laughs> and yeah. and they do. Uh, did you think it was odd that the guys getting robbed, like they took it with a certain ele- level of like resignedness, that surprised me? Like they're not even angry about it. It's just like a this dog is... ran up and bit them. Like fuck, what are you going to do? This, this <laughs> right. fucking dogs. These fucking dogs in this city. No, this strikes me as like, uh, I don't know, when fucking Uber gets fined for uh, not classifying their employees correctly or, or you know, some uh, pharmaceutical company d- did some improper marketing of their product and they get a fine, right? This is the cost of doing business. Every once in a while, if you're unlucky, some cop is going to roll up, take your shit and then kick you back out on the street and then you start over again. Right. Like that's just how it goes. What do you think about, and this is something I've thought about a while, a lot about law enforcement's ability to lie to people. I, I get that part of investigation. You have to kind of play cagey with what you know, what you don't know, what your buddy might know, what your buddy might be telling people. That's, that's effective interrogation. Like when, once you got someone interrogating them, but like, I don't know how I, it, it sits like people saying I'm a federal agent. Yeah. We've got wiretaps. We've got like, I, I, I don't know where the line should be drawn, but it seems like there's no line. Like a cop can literally tell you anything about your rights and whatever. And to the extent that you rely on them, you're a fool. Um, oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and uh, they don't cover yeah, this that's information why you have in lawyers school. for this shit. <laughs> no, of course not. Right, uh, right. 
No, I, for everything I know, uh, everything I've been taught in the movies, impersonating a federal agent is a crime. Uh, and I don't think that that stops being a crime if you're a police officer. Hmm. I like, like I, I wonder what the actual fact of, of the matter is on that, because it's like we were talking yeah. about with Suter last week, you know, uh, to some extent, uh, he took advantage of Ebony's lack of knowledge of her rights um, to mm-hmm. clear a gun murder off the street, which is a good thing. But on the other hand, you've got now this is the, sh- the shadowy side where you've got a person saying, yeah. hey, you know, this is essentially don't worry. You know, I we're federal. Don't worry about your right. And the guy's even saying, like, I'm not consenting to any of this searching. And it, it doesn't fucking it doesn't, doesn't matter. fucking matter yeah. because all a cop's got to say is I smelled weed. Mm hmm. That's it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. The, the probable cause, like every time they talk yeah. about probable cause in the show, I laugh because they're laughing like the, there is yeah. no such thing as probable cause in this scenario. Yeah. They don't need it. So they they rob these guys. They pull up a couple of blocks. They stop and Wayne checks for a GPS tracker because he's not an idiot. He doesn't want to get caught. Um, he divides up the money in a way that's kind of unfair. And, the men, and he's like, well, look, I'm going to buy a crash bar with this money. This is going to go back to my squad car. And then he gives them essentially money laundering 101. Don't be smart with this. Don't put it in a bank. Don't pay off any major bills with it. Trickle it out a little bit of a time. Buy, you know, like steaks and beer. Uh, just just go one shelf up on your beer and one yeah. uh, grade up on your beef. Yeah, no, he's, he turns into De Niro from Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. don't, 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 I don't want to see you guys in Impalas and fur coats next weekend. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Ward, we see him uh, put his share back. Like, he's like, uh-huh. hey, I got to do something. He puts it back because he doesn't want this money. And he explains that his wife, that they, they, they got a service family. Uh, his wife is uh, a member of the Baltimore Police Department, and she's squeaky clean. And he was scared and uncomfortable taking the cash. And the guy clarifies, are you comfortable taking the cash with that? He's like, no, I, I, mean, every, I mean, we're going to tax drug dealers when we get them on the street. But, like, this is a whole other level. It's too um, much. Yeah. Yeah. But it just goes to show you that like the system, like the, you know, the, 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 the mild graft and greed and corruption enables the, the big stuff. And I, there's a, there's a quote in the Bible, like faith, the one who is faithful in least is faithful in much. And I do believe that, you know, Mm -hmm. like if you're the type of guy that's going to take $500 off a suspect because just because you can, you're probably going to be the guy that takes 10 grand out of a safe house when you find it. Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe there should be more stings. Maybe there should be more stings from within the police department. Uh, I, I hear I, those are not entrapment. Like, that sounds like ID is incompetent based on this show, but yeah. who knows? Or, or yeah. their recommendations just aren't even followed, right? Like, they talk about that later. So the investigators are, are contemplating the amorality of Jenkins' actions when Ward's like, I can actually top that. And recale, re, re, retells a story of them going to a strip club of Wayne Jenkins becoming enamored with a certain dwarf stripper and him taking the opportunity because he can to rob her. Go into the VIP with lures of paying for sex and he actually just just straight up robs her. And the men have an in, a reaction to it. Do you want to talk about this? Yeah, I mean, they think it's wrong, and it is wrong. I, I don't, I don't know what else to say about it. But this it shows the the like 
the men here have reached their limit and they're like, this is fucked up, man. And they try to tell it in the mildest form possible. But like Jenkins has a way of shutting it down, being like, uh, mm-hmm. hey, man, he's like, I, I can't believe you just robbed the Emsler stripper. And Jenkins, hey, man, no, don't don't put it like that. Like, well, right. how else the fuck do you want to put it, man? Yeah, that's exactly like, what he did. Yeah, this is like bully shit, even to the point where these professional bullies are are, are uncomfortable. Um, and, the, you know, again, the investigators like, how did you not know about this guy? And he's like, I yeah, this was a fucked up night. But you got to understand that his numbers are what I knew him from. He was a legend. <laughs> right. He owned these streets. He'd been working at this point 10 years plain clothes. Who the fuck was he? A new guy on the squad, newly promoted. Who was he to be like, hey, this is a bunch of bullshit, right? Uh, 2012 Herschel has can you imagine being this guy in the curb? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking in this scene. Just like, and, and he, he vocalizes it at the end. He's like, man, this is bullshit. It's like, you know, when you go into like a bad McDonald's and there's like trash everywhere and the, like the toilets are backed up with shit and the employees are kind of like having a celebration about like how this place is terrible. And, you know, it's like, that's kind of galling if you're just there for your chicken nuggets. Right. Mm-hmm, sure. But to be to see this stuff from police officers, um, it's wild. It's wild. Yeah. And and the whole time it's like he's he's having a celebratory drink as he pulls up. uh, He's he's squad car like I don't know, man. It's just like this show. This show just keeps presenting me with this guy and, and these these people over and over again. And every time I see them, it's more cringy. I don't know. I don't know what to think. Yeah, there was something like I remember watching the original Wire and kind of like or opening my eyes when you'd see Bunk and McNulty get knee knocking, eyes crossed, stumbling drunk at the end of their shifts uh, and then pile their cars and drive off and think, God, this is fucking crazy. And I think that this is like. Again, it all builds, right? Like this disrespect, basic disrespect and and thinking that you're above the law in mm-hmm. little things. It's like, ah, oh, you know, these guys are seeing some fucked up shit, you know, babies in microwaves and 30 <laughs> women asphyxiated in cargo containers over sec- like and then and, and they got to have they got to be able to blow off a little steam, right? They got to sure. build the team exercises. But that 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 that, that little corruption leads that snowballs into what you've got now because uh, it's the same fucking city we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then after so we we just celebrate happy Wayne Jenkins day in 2012 him getting his stripes and we go to 2014 uh, in the media in the middle of action uh, guys are screaming why did you have to run him over Wayne Wayne instructing go find a, y- a gun in the yard he has put the you know these the what, what does these crash bars to use and he's run someone off, off the road run them over because he says that's a guy pointed a gun at him we're going to find out that there was no gun involved. Um, and he makes another call saying, I need you to bring me a piece because the shift commander is about here. The shift commander gets out, is not looking very impressed. 
do you, they, they interview the shift commander. And the interesting thing is that he did report all this. We found that in the very first episode that he had put this and the FBI had even talked to him about it and it went yeah. nowhere. I do wonder we're, we're going to have to, there's got to have to be some corruption at the FBI level, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, all this, all this corruption seems to be trickling up, right? Um, you look at, uh, is it Allers who gets promoted out of that into the DEA? Yep. Um, yeah, you, you see all these guys who are corrupt just moving up and up and up, right? They because get they're the numbers, superstars. They get promoted. Right? Yeah. And then they cover for everybody who was their acolytes and their trainees. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we are going to have to see more of this, and, and it probably does go high higher than they think. Uh, the, the other thing, though, is I think th- there's a limit to this stuff, and I think Jenkins is pushing it because you can see when he calls in his – superior whoever this guy is uh to drop off this gun and then stash it so they could find it uh he's like annoyed with him right because he was in the middle of doing something else and and jenkins is like i need this like yeah i'm in deep shit here right um so so this guy is not going to put up with this shit forever from jenkins but you know he's putting it up with it enough to get jenkins off the hook well, it seems like an escalation, too, because this is pretty egregious. Like, I'm just going mm-hmm. to, like, I'm going to give this guy a federal gun charge because Jenkins bet wrong on his backpack. And at the end of the scene, Jenkins like, well, I got I owe you a favor. What is going to be the fucked up thing that he calls Jenkins to help him with? That's going to be maybe yeah. a little bit over the line from what Jenkins is comfortable with. And it just keeps going. It, it seems like it's a story where it just keeps going back and forth. And like, well, if you're going to mm-hmm. call bullshit on my thing, like, what about you robbing the stripper? What about you? play? Um, and this also shows up this Kabuki kind of thing that they do where they know they did something dirty and they let the pl- They let the uh, the uniformed officers who are not part of the task force find the gun. And then mm-hmm. Wayne comes up and like, you know, whoa, whoa, back off, everybody. Let's wait for evidence collection to come in. We want to do this right by yeah. the book. Like, there's something extra cynical and circle of hell about how how cynical they're manipulating the system. <laughs> right. Uh, we then see the feds reviewing a video of Jenkins at a car stop where he searches this car for over 60 minutes. He stays with the perp for that long, interrogating him in multiple positions. The tape runs out and bingo bongo drugs show up after, after it was thoroughly tossed by several seasoned police officers. Turns out yes, that's probably, he's probably underneath the floor mat, you know, rookie mistake. Yeah. You gotta gotta check the floor mats. And, (laughs) They found seven ounces of Coke, which is a shit ton of Coke. This isn't yeah. like, you know, a little dime baggie that slipped between the crack of the seat. Uh, and it contradicts the arrest record that he wrote up. Um, so the charges got dropped and it was he was referred to the IAD. And we see an inset of him sweating with this IED officer. And the guys, the 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 ladies like your arrest record does not match the video evidence. And Wayne's like, well, I found it after the video. I just wrote it up wrong. Trust me. I can talk to the prosecutor. I can make this right. And you know, he doesn't. And the federal investigators are talking to warden. It's like, well, how, how the fuck did he get out of this? And he goes, well, let me tell you, Freddie gray happened. And they recounts a story of Wayne's quote unquote heroism during the hours <laughs> that the Baltimore is burning. Mm-hmm. Um, 
let me ask you this. Let me ask you something, Jim. <laughs> what, what? How much is this uh, Wayne being just like the pro cop, super cop, and this is what he would do anyway? And how much of this is him turning it up a little extra because he knows IAD is breathing down his throat and he wants his brothers and sisters on the thin blue line remembering who's buttering their bread? Uh, it's probably a little of both. The, the the thing that strikes me about it, though, is what a change of attitude he has as soon as he shows up to the, the, the this literal thin blue line um, at, the, at the protest. And yeah, I, he's I don't like, know if we're ready to talk about that yet, but yeah, we're ready to talk about the whole thing, like through him okay. uh, robbing the Rite Aid, if you want. Okay, yeah. Um so so he shows up, right? He goes out, he he gets all his cop buddies together, is like all gung ho, we're gonna go out here and we're gonna we're gonna defend this city, we're gonna put this down, right? And Warrior he cops. gets out there, it grabs a shield, uh a guy throws a rock at him, they get into a slight altercation, and then he gets back on the line and he looks shaken, right? Like and I don't know if it's if, if it's mentally shaken here, like, well, it's it's mentally for sure. But is it like emotionally like he realizes that this is sort of like a direct result? These are the consequences of his actions coming home to roost. Or is this? Yeah. Fuck. I'm I'm actually like I'm fine when I'm ripping and rolling people on the streets and, and stealing cash out of powerless people's hands. But when there's people fighting back, I'm not actually the tough guy. I think I am. I can't tell which is which here. Yeah, it's interesting. I just saw a video from last week. You know, the Supreme Court got a leaked document that uh, has implications uh, for life here in America, and people were pissed about it, and they're out in the streets. And I saw mm-hmm. this was uh, footage, I think, from the Washington, D.C. area. There had been a flash protest at the nation's capital, and Department of Homeland Poli- uh, Security Police pulled up. It was two guys in a squad car, two people who were just kind of milling around. And this one guy uh, uh, grabbed a 65-year-old lady who was, you know, wearing Roe v. Wade gear and just apropos of nothing said, back off and then shoved her hard. And this 65-year-old lady, white lady, was like, fucking game on. I'm, I, I kind of came here hoping for shit like this. And this guy just started shoving people and this officer behind him who had a submachine gun started grabbing him. And like you could see them aware, become aware of the fact that they are two guys Uh against now like 60 people who are fucking incensed at the way they're behaving. And they end up having to abandon their squad car and like flee on foot. Mm -hmm. I, I do think that like there is this kind of like this the where the cop mentality hits reality of like oh shit what if we did have to go to war against this city we'd fucking get our asses kicked yeah especially in places like baltimore and some of these other you know uh uh, the urban areas where they've just been doing this shit for for a generation or two um Mm -hmm. yeah man i I don't know, because like I, th- I thought he looked afraid, too. And you saying, like, maybe if he's got enough self-awareness to like, this is all the chickens coming home to roost. Yeah, I, I think it's less of that because I, d- I don't think he's super self-aware like that. Or he is in I don't know. He is in moments, right? Like w- when the guy he calls in to plant the gun is telling him, like, this is it, man. You fucking cashed in your last card. He's he kind of gets that look on his face like, oh, maybe I've gone too far here. Um that there's the stuff where he's sitting in jail uh, in 20, 
17 yeah. or whenever it is where you look at him and go, okay, now he's thinking about all the consequences. Like he understands all of this led here. Right. Like, but I think but you're I right too, that like, why would he? Because that first instance where yeah. he beat that guy outside of his apartment and his superiors calls like, man, you could go, you could lose your job over this Wayne. You could tell Wayne is sweating bullets. He's like, Oh, I fucked up. Right. But it became a joke. joke. And mm-hmm. then we've seen him iterate this so many times. Like, and like that Hersel guy gets off on 50 complaints. Why would they ever think that there that that there's ever going to be consequences to this? You know, if you let people yeah. off without any, um, it seems like it it really you know ruins. The, uh, the, the they expect consequences, they don't get it, and then they, that they they take that into the next in, uh, interaction. Yeah, it teaches them right. Like it teaches them that there aren't consequences. And what ex- yeah. what lesson do you expect them to learn from that? And we also see like a ta- uh, from um, uh, Detective Suter's perspective because he's like they're suiting up everybody in the blues and they oh, want yeah. everybody in their unit their their class A uniforms with shields and riots and and Suter's like fuck what about you know I'm murder police now and I'm gonna be banging heads uh, he goes up to the major who we saw was doing a house cat desk duty in the last episode and. They're burning a police car and Suter's like, are we just not going to do anything? And the major's like, man, fuck that car. Well, <laughs> at this point, just let him blow off steam. And there's this kind of like the again, the good Apple cops are like, well, shit, are we just going to let the city burn? Because if we try to go and restore justice, we're all going to get we're just going to make things worse. Um, and then Jenkins bringing the six. He, he buys on his own dime. Six hundred meals delivers them with his assault. <laughs> minivan that he's got this cow catcher uh bolted to the front of and just living it up you know he is to all these officers he is the embodiment of everything that's good about being a baltimore police so so, and this is also a a cop out from him like he he got on that line he took he he took a couple of shots from a brick escalated situation got scared went out bought chicken for the squad and stood back while the other cops handled the the being on the line right like he he literally won't put himself on the line here uh this is his way of chickening out and i found it hilarious that he's delivering chicken to cops while chickening out on actually doing the thing that would help here but i i know cops gotta eat also but also He's he's so he puffs himself up constantly like he's the badass yeah. going to run in there and bust some heads. Right. He's the guy and here. He is flying. serving chicken off the back of a truck. Get fucked. Yeah. dude. He's the guy flying in, beating on his officer's legs because he's wearing Air Jordans like he's just. But that's he's when all six, very, but that's when six officers are dogpiling one dude. Right. It's when it's like 60. Right. Yeah. It's so performative. Yeah. yeah. So then you've got uh, the next scene is the officers at their command post watching a TV of the uh, state's attorney, Mosby, who we've talked about, um, throwing the book at the Freddie Gray officers involved in the transport and his arrest. And from the officer's perspective, uh, and you can see, like, even from a legal perspective, they're like, well, if you want to. If you want to give negligence to the guy who drove the car who ended up giving Freddie Gray the rough ride that led to his death, okay. But murder with a depraved heart? Like, they're essentially saying, okay, you caught us, but, like, Mm -hmm. no one intended. Like, we wanted Freddie Gray to get busted up, but we didn't want him to die. And, like, that's not murder. Like, that that, that doesn't meet the standard of murder right there. And they're probably right. Like, I remember. That's the thing, yeah. I remember everyone being so excited. This Mosby person was like holding the cops accountable. She's throwing the book at him. 
But you charge people for murder that means something and it's not murder. And the thing is, it's confusing is I think that you and I can see situations where we wouldn't intend to kill something. It was all supposed to be harmless, but we would be charged for negligent homicide or something like that because we're just people. And Mm -hmm. people cannot be aware of the law and get in trouble for it. And people can be held accountable for what reasonable people might conclude would happen if you put a person in this situation, you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. But cops don't. They have this thing called qualified immunity, which if they just kind of happen to believe they're doing the right thing in a stressful cop situation, then it's ipso facto legal. And you can't hold them responsible, responsible for not understanding uh, how their duties and, and responsibilities kind of like overlay each other. Which is crazy uh, because they've been to school for this stuff, right? That's like an engineer's bridge falling down and said, well, you can't hold me responsible for not right. knowing that it wouldn't hold up to, right. to, the, to to natural forces. No, that's what you're paid to do, man. Yeah, you're holding the labor people more responsible than the for, for the law than the people who are, are trained uh, and, and enforce it. Right. Seems crazy. Um, but you also see him starting to do like this. Well, well, we gotta, we gotta go out there. We gotta get money. We gotta raise money for these guys, legal uh, protections. And they cut to this guy saying, so there's more, there's not just one Wayne Jenkins. Like they're wanting to be like, this guy's a corrupt dirt bag. That's doing this and that. And I think throughout this episode, he's showing how other officers who might be just like him and hear this guy, he gets drugs off the street. He gets guns off the street. He makes big busts. He makes good arrests. He is a hero cop. That's the first to the line. That's the first to defend this. That's the first to raise money for when we're getting fucked over by, uh, you know, a state's attorney trying to grandstand, trying to become district attorney. It's a narrative, right? And it seems like sure. it is really effective with the rank and file. And I found it very ironic that some of this money that they're going to pull in for donations is going to directly be money taken from people on the streets who were innocent and just had their shit stolen from them. Yeah, I mean, it does, so like they, you start putting these numbers together. Like, remember when they talked about how many stops the cops made in like a five-year mm-hmm. period and like less than 1% of 1% city. of yeah. those were actually... And you think about, okay... That's already like I'm hot if I'm just driving in my neighborhood and I get pulled over eight different times in the course of a year because, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. But now you wonder what percentage of those people got robbed. And it ain't zero. A hundred percent of the people who had something to rob. Yeah. The number's not zero. It's not one one percent of one percent. It's it's a lot. So it's like those are staggering numbers. Um so the next vignette we get treated to is what Ward calls a, a jackpot, that they've done some police work. Uh, they've got this guy pulled over. They find him with a half key of coke and a a, 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 a weapon on him. They call the squad. They get a they find out that he's got a legit listed uh, address. What an idiot. Uh, they get a search warrant and they go in and they find a shit ton of drugs and a giant safe. That they subsequently bust open the criminal informant that they were acting on said there's a hundred thousand. There's substantially more enough Mm -hmm. to get every officer 20 grand and then Wayne to get an even bigger payday off that. And they set this up like a movie set. Wayne's like, okay, we got to cover our asses here. I want you guys like down to like, I want you to get your cameras (laughs) out all synchronized. Say action like they do in the movies. Mm hmm. 
and they put the hundred thousand in the busted up safe. They stage it like they're rebusting into the safe, and then Wayne comes in there. He's like, "Is there more than five thousand in here? Holy shit, we got to call the feds because that's what you got to do. You got to take it, you know." And it's like, "We're there's going to do another one of these seizures by the book." <laughs> uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, this is the type of shit that always on body cameras are meant to stop. Uh, one one of the things. Um, you know, but you can't do that on plainclothes officers. You can't do that on the guys who are out there. Uh, yeah, it's just not possible, right? But they but do. What you're supposed like to I've do seen is some of these guys have... with the. Go ahead. Oh, have you? No, yeah, like They're I said cameras? that, like I uh, in like the episode, I think three, uh, half of uh, Wayne's crew had body cameras on them, including Herschel of all people. And half of so I like I'm not sure what the rules are of when you got to hmm. wear them when you don't. Uh, and this is in two this is in 2015. So yeah, maybe the maybe the Baltimore maybe that happened after Freddie Gray the 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 body cameras. I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, but I don't know. It would prevent this type of stuff. Or would help at least. Um, you would mm-hmm. see it'd be it'd be easier to see. You'd think. I don't know. Um, because I, I feel like if you put body cameras on this system with this personnel, they would figure out a way, you know, yeah, like yeah. All, the whole department would check clocked out to take a shit uh, in the five minutes that they beat the fuck out of somebody, you know, and the yeah, cameras and the have come back on. Like, oh, we ran. We all ran out of the boys room, saw this guy committing a crime and he's all bloody in his hand. But it's it's cool. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the the people that were supposed to be like, uh, yeah, if IAD is supposed to be watching this stuff and their supervisors are supposed to be like, they're going to be like, well, you know, it's department procedure that the, these boys were all taking a synchronized shit. What are you going to do? They're colon synchronized after they've been on the force, uh, you know, rolling out <laughs> each other. Uh, yeah. And there's a scene earlier, right? Where Wayne has one of the guys move their car so that the security camera can't get a look at them stealing the money right. out of these guys' cars, the trunks. Right, right. Putting uh, the clinic So, yeah, on. they do find ways around it. They do. They do. Um, so, they said, uh, did anyone complain about Wayne taking more than his fair share? And the cop's like, no, because he was the guy for, you know, he had his methods and they were flawed, but they also paid off a lot more than they didn't. And... Uh, you know, they were kind of happy that they took a big drug dealer off the street and they asked him what he did with his money. He's like, I had time to think about it. I got to my house. I thought about my family uh, and I dumped a 20 grand <laughs> in a vacant lot in Baltimore. And they asked him mm-hmm. why. What? So what did you make of this guy's reasons, his motivation? I, I mean, they made a lot of sense, right? Um, you know, it, it's too much money to just bring home and and use and still have your wife stay clean. Um, and going along to get along makes a certain amount of sense in this situation. What do you do? Yeah, I wonder if um, I wonder if these officers had uh, wives that were also police officers that were clean. Like, how much harder would their job be? Because at some point. I got to think a lot of these, these like Wayne Jenkins wife has to know something's up, right? I, I would assume, I, but I don't know. I mean, if, yeah, yeah, it depends on how open they are, but I don't, I don't get the impression that they're very open with each other or, you know. and also like, so the next scene is a team building exercise in 2016 where Wayne is taking over the gun t- trace task force. And he's talking about uh, his vision to the men 
And he talks about how what motivates a police officer is money, which fair enough, it motivates anybody. Uh, and they compare about what they're taking in. And this is this makes me feel like an idiot for talking about maybe we should pay these guys more because they're talking about right. getting a base pay of like 75 grand, making 62 off overtime. Uh, and again, I think these mm-hmm. cops only work four days. They consider four days a week full time. So this isn't like them working 75, 80 hours. This mm-hmm. is them working probably 60, 65, which was probably an average week for me when I was working white collar programming. Yeah. Uh, and they're making one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars and carrying a gun and beating the fuck out of whoever they want. You got to think like. Why wasn't this enough? Right. You can yeah, provide because it's for a family about- in Baltimore for one hundred seventy thousand dollars. Absolutely. Like I said, I that there's an opportunity there and these guys are opportunistic. That's that's what it is. That's what it basically comes down to. They are making enough. It's just you can always make more. And if the opportunity is there to do it and no one's going to stop you from doing it, of course, these guys are going to do that. And he talks about how it's going to they're like the gun trace task force is even going to get worse, quote unquote, because they're going to work eight to four, but they're going to show up at two. But in mm-hmm. that, those two hours of police work, they're going to get so much guns and so much drugs that no one's even going to care that they're doing clock theft now. So they're going to work. They're going to work eight hours a week, uh, mm-hmm. get 150 a year for it and own the city like they they shout out the name of the episode uh, or name of the series yeah. here. And we end this thing where, like, if you have any doubt about uh, what Detective Ward's telling you, they have uh, $20,000 sitting forlornly to this day in an empty lot in Baltimore. <laughs> um, yeah, it makes me wonder if that's going to be a smoking gun. Uh, on, I or, wonder, too. You know, a, a small smoking gun, right? Not like a forty five. It'd probably be like a 9 millimeter <laughs> against Jenkins. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, that certainly, like, backs up the story the Ward's telling here. I thought you, you mentioned the, the symbolism of the chickens. I, I wonder if there's symbolism with that they choose Grant on the 50 looking balefully at us from the stack of because like, you know, what uh, uh, Ulysses Grant is famous for a couple things, uh, winning the Civil War by throwing throwing union lives at Lee until he ran out uh, uh-huh. and also presiding over one of the most corrupt and graft ridden uh, 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 parts of U.S. federal history. Hmm. Uh, I wonder okay. if like he's kind of like the poster child for, and I don't think Grant himself is corrupt. I'm just saying that he hmm. happened to be the president that was overseeing just just tons and tons of of truly heinous corruption. Probably because it's after Civil War and there's a lot of profiteering, carpet bagging, yeah. etc. But I wonder if the, that there was a little bit because I would think you know you'd have a bit you know you'd have uh, Franklin or you know. Jackson looking out after from the 20 or the 100 to 50, I thought was an interesting choice. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that, but could be, uh, that's the bulk of the episode. We do have a little bit of other stuff that we want. I want to talk about. Uh, let's talk about Nicole Steele. Um, her office is doing a deep dive on these officers who can't take the stand this list. And we learn about the history of that. This was a formal list that was sent as a complaint to the Baltimore Police Department and and it was done nothing with. So now it's just something that prosecuting attorneys circulate to keep their cases, to keep wasting time on cases that are going to get thrown out of court, essentially. Um, and it's not just a list. It actually has details, specifics, known examples of perjury 
Um, and she says, I want to see a man answer a straight question. She takes her uh, partner to meet with Commissioner Davis and asks, why are these guys still on the street? These are names with actionable concerns. And he explains this goes back three commissioners ago to a commissioner and a state's attorney fighting. Uh, one was pissed that I'm taking all these cr- crime and I'm bringing it to your desk and you're not prosecuting. The state's attorney pissed that you're giving me piss poor casework that is not getting prosecutions. Uh, and instead of working on that problem, they just kind of go to this cold war where they ignore all criticisms leveled at each other. Yeah, which is okay. That's the setup. Um, now you've got the list. Now you're the police commissioner, and I'm I'm a hundred percent with Nicole. My very first question is, why can't you do something about it right now? That's the history, but now you've got actionable stuff. Why? So like, she's starting to peel. Like, well, this Davis guy is like, oh, my hands are tied. My hands are tied. All this history, but like, yeah, what keeps you from cleaning your side of the street? Mm-hmm. And then from that newly clean street, you could launch more effective attacks against the state's attorney who's, you know, got their sidewalks all shitted up. Um, yeah. I don't think there's a good answer for that question. No, I, I agree. There isn't. <laughs> and and I, I forget his name, but the guy who's working under Nicole is just like, oh, yeah, good point. And then we also see uh, in a flashback, uh, Nicole Steele walking the Freddie Gray protest. This is in the day, you know, like after uh, where things are a little bit more uh, calm and contained there. They they reference these 300 T-shirts. There was this uh, organization in Baltimore that started where there is it's kind of a dual reference to Sparta, the 300 that stood alone against. And also the fact that 300 bodies are the average in Baltimore. <laughs> And these guys would essentially wear these black T-shirts and form a line between the protesters and the police to kind of like keep the violence to a minimum. Like they would just they were trained to never uh, respond to any provocation. So they Mm. would kind of like because God knows the police can't deescalate shit. God knows the angry protesters and rioters axiomatically wouldn't be deescalating shit. So they tried. Um and her just kind of like, you know, like the difference in perspective for someone kind of like outside looking in at this crazy stuff. Um, we have a little bit of Detective Sean Suter to talk about, uh, which is I think this is the case that he's bringing to trial with the prosecutor about this gun charge. And he's seeing uh, the prosecutor trying to impanel a jury and right, right. white guy who got Doesn't beat go for well. attending a Black Lives Matter, uh, a black guy who got beat for trying to deliver ba- uh, baby diapers to his sister who just gave birth. Um, and they're both saying, like the one guy, the memorable line, I wouldn't believe a Baltimore Police Department officer if he told me his mother loved him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and just systematically, th- the judge dismissing these people and saying, does anyone else have any concerns? And like half of the court raises their hands. Uh, and at the end of the day, out of 180 jurists considered, only eight made it to the bin, uh, to the actual panel. Right. This this is a problem. <laughs> so Souter's done great police work with his good police, and it's probably going to amount to nothing. And how do you be good police in the face of that? Um, and the, the prosecutor makes a point is like, you guys have beaten and locked up so many people for bullshit that we can't find 12 people in the city to, to dispense justice. Mm-hmm. 
And there's another detail uh, from the Wayne Jenkins story that, again, this was outside the perspective of I don't think this is things that the the investigators know about yet. This is might be things yeah. that would shock even Wayne Jenkins men Could that be. Wayne has got this pipeline with the bail bonds guy. Do you want to describe it? Like what yeah, this arrangement he, is? He seems to be bringing him certain types of drugs that he likes uh, in exchange for payments because, you know, he feels inferior to his other cop buddies who are been on the force longer, making more money, uh, you know, doing all the dirty stuff that he's doing just a little more successfully. Uh, so, yeah, he's he's trading drugs for money here. And this is 2013 Wayne Jenkins. This is Wayne Jenkins mm-hmm. with base out sergeant's base salary of 85 grand. Who's getting the overtime Over time of who's another getting the 80. Tw- yeah. Who's getting the, you know, the, the five, 10, 20 grand out of the safes. Right. But, but there's still it's like very, the, the drugs. Well what do you do guy. with the drugs? I got to turn all that into evidence, man. Like five kilo. Mm-hmm. Why can't I do something? With, I turn in one kilo and turn in 40 and yeah, the they are astounding. Astounding. Yeah. And we didn't even uh, address the thing uh, while he's doing his hero cop shit during the Freddie Gray riots. He also robs a right. He stops two guys from robbing a right aid and then essentially takes their, uh, you know, they, they probably hit and got all the good drugs out into garbage bags. He's able to benefit from that ta- to the point where like the bail bond guys like. If it feels like the banks in Miami at midstage uh, a Scarface where they're like, you're. We can't launder a hundred million dollars, yeah. man. Like there, we we have rules that we have to follow. You are out, so out, of, and the bail bond guy is kind of like, "What the fuck am I supposed to do with all these loose pills?" And Wayne's like, "LOL, sell it." Yeah, so I I think it's worse than that too because I I think what happens here is when these guys come running out of this Rite Aid or whatever with these two big bags, Jenkins picks them up after he chases them off, picks up the bags. And goes back inside. I don't know that he necessarily just took what he had there. I think he went and actually looted that place himself. Picked out the Oxycontins. Picked out the high-priced pills. Because when he goes to his bail bonds guy, guy says, these are worth a shitload of money. Uh, Right. So so I think he went in and handpicked the ones that Mm. he knew were worth a lot. You might be right. You actually might be right because I, you know, he he did the big show of like I don't even know what any of this stuff is, and but yet, yeah. I, the last I, time we see him, he's walking back into the place with the bags. What would he be doing that for? If and he this was is just how stupid I was at the beginning of the scene. I'm like, why the fuck would you rob a right? Like, what are you going to get? Like greeting cards and shit. I forgot that. Yes, they have all <laughs> these yeah. narcotics back, and you could force the safe open, and yeah, so. Uh, that's I think that's all. That's all the crime and corruption that uh, we've uncovered in this hour of television. <laughs> all I can stand for this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, fuck. Uh, we do have some feedback. Do you want to? Do you want to talk about uh, that a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. All right, feedback. If you'd like to send us feedback, send it to corners at baldmove dot com. Uh, first up is Devon Winston. Uh. He says, I'm a big fan of all your content. I'm actually listening to your Breaking Bad podcast again for the third time, three times through. It's a uh, yeah. Uh, back in the simple old days where an old man was uh, try- trying to, <laughs> to to cook cook drugs for his family. You know, mm-hmm. simpler, simpler, <laughs> less morally ambiguous days. 
Uh, I'm from New York City, which goes without saying is a horribly police city, but I have an idea how we can get the ball rolling on stopping police from going down the path of darkness. Not sure if it even work or how it would work, but uh, law enforcement is a business that employees and employees have pensions. Whenever the police department gets sued and has to pay that money, it comes from the city's budget. But how about whenever a police department gets sued and they lose, what if the money were to come out of the police pension fund? Mm. Last I checked, the NYPD pension fund was just short of $54 billion. If I were a cop and that cause a situation ends up being a $4 million lawsuit and imagine that money comes out of pension fund, I'd assume I'd get nothing but dirty looks and shit assignments from the department. Who wants to be the asshole that causes the pension fund to lose millions? Anyway, just a half-baked thought. If you guys read this, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Keep up the good work. So this, I, I think that's kind of a good idea. Here's what I would worry about in that scenario is that they would use this as an excuse to just get theirs. Like, well, if this shit, if there, there's not going to be a pension for me because it keeps getting sucked away by these, you know, obviously wrong charges. Like, no, nobody did the shit they said, right? Like, this whole thing is bullshit anyway. Cops are going to be inclined to be like, well, I got to get mine while I'm out here because it's not going to be there for me afterward. So I, th- I think there might be some potential for some, you know, incentives to do the opposite of what you actually want there. Right. And there's but also, it does seem like a good idea on the face of it. Certainly. Yeah. There's also like group punishment. Like, you know, what about the off- officers are not doing anything? Well, the, they're but they're that's, being, yeah, but that incentivizes them to blow the whistle on these fools, right? It like, does. I like that. The the the, the bigger mm-hmm. problem is like you would have to get the union to agree to this. <laughs> oh, right, and that and would be an impossible. The problem task. with these, like uh, any public union, uh, even things I I, I kind of wholeheartedly support, like teachers' unions. It's one thing if like uh, everybody at Ford walks off and it hurts Ford the company. When mm-hmm. you have like teachers that just refuse to teach because they're trying to ne- negotiate a contract, you're hurting a city's worth of children, for example. If you have cops that just walk off the job, like that could cause people's lot. So they have like, this disproportionate power. Fire department is another one. Yeah. But they just say, like, hey, you know like, what? We, we don't like our contract. We're going to not respond to the bells anymore. Right. Um, I I know there's restrictions like for them literally doing that. But we've also seen in this episode how effective cops can just like you know, not do anything, just sit in their patrol cars and, and, and not do yeah. something. I, I don't know how you would wrest that concession from the police. I wonder if you could structure it like a bonus, like there is a potentially X amount of bonus pay that officers get each year. And we're going to pay our civil mm. rights penalties out of that. So this is a new thing you're negotiating the union. Like there's going to be a budget, and we're going to and, and everybody will get this and it's going to divvy up by blah, 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 blah. And the pool of that is going to shrink every time we have one of this because we're going to pay out of that. Yeah, I mean, there's still that the problem of the incentive that, that might create for cops to, you know, go go out there and get their own. Right. Um, well, they're going to take it from us anyway. we got to get ours. Yeah, right. I've seen that mentality time and time again with people. Um, but. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, we got to do something. I, I don't think that's the worst suggestion. I think, yeah, maybe the bonus pay stuff, maybe some positive reinforcement, uh, you know, incentivize people to come forward with complaints yeah. about officers, um, in- incentivize other officers to to do the right thing. Uh, but it's tough because 
if you're already making 170k a year right what's another oh you get a thousand bucks for like a a tip on another officer that the iad prosecutes on or something like right or is it is able to to get a prosecution on i i don't know that's that's Uh, why we say like when we're looking for the show to say something about a possible solution it's because these aren't easy things to solve and i feel like we don't have a lot of great ideas on ways to solve them no, it's a it's a tricky problem. The problem is, is like not only are we not doing anything solving, it doesn't seem like we're doing anything to because like to me, the rot all starts with vice crime. Like there's a long mm-hmm. history of yeah. when you uh, try to outlaw stuff that everybody is like maybe morally dubious about, but like it's not murder. It's not rape. Mm-hmm. It's not arson. It's gambling. It's yeah, drugs. there's not a lot of upside to the murder investigations, right? <laughs> Those, right there, there's a bunch of money or drugs to be had to sell it's sure yeah. sure and like you and i mean you, you, you like you can't find support for like murder that you can for like hey you know i want to go to the track and bet some money this weekend or right. i want to be able to buy a fifth of vodka and get blasted this weekend or i want to get an eight you know like they're like a lot of people like eh, on that stuff um and I just, yeah, like we we saw our country burn when we outlawed liquor. And mm-hmm. I know there'll be problems with like free availability or decriminalization of drugs. But holy shit, look at what the alternative has been for the last 50 years. Yeah, those are um, easier problems to solve, right? If we can de-escalate the problem that we have to solve, we might actually have a chance of solving it. It's 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 ruining like it's ruining it's ruining our police. And it's ruining Mm -hmm. our laws and institutions. Like, it's one thing to have, you know, like you got an opium den in your neighborhood and, oh, my God, it's causing problems because this, that and the other. You could do stuff with zoning and police enforcement and stuff about, you know, like a strip club's legal uh, and there's shootouts in a strip club parking lot. You can prosecute that crime um, without prosecuting the stripping. And it seems like that as long as we have this stuff where, like. Because a cop, like, if you look the other way in a murder, I think other cops like, whoa, fuck. You look the other way yeah. in a drug bust, it's not the same. It's just not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just, I don't have any hope as long as we give these cops this shitty mission, you know? Uh, yeah, what you're saying is in the drug war. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a huge um, Eric C., I think he's responding to us talking about search and seizure uh, and us like, you know, the fact that if you and I were to drive around $15,000 and we got stopped, we'd have our money stolen. He goes, no offense, Aaron, but I suspect a white man of 15000 in your car may get afforded some benefit of the doubt a black man would not. You're wrong. Uh, yeah. I might not get my trunk searched, uh, but if they were to search my car and they found $15,000, my white ass is not walking out of it and the other thing is like i think that this is something white folks need to realize is if you are out in the rural area of this country and you're a white person and you're poor you are the black man and woman of Mm. the city like if you pull out of certain trailer parks if you pull out of certain like the cops watch those just as well as they watch the projects and the slums in the city and yeah, like there's notor like you look at like the uh, the uh, what is the border between Colorado and Kansas? Uh, that that because Colorado's legal weed and Kansas is like super mm. you know illegal mm-hmm. weed. They like they're vultures, man. Uh, and a lot of people they get pulling over to the line between Colorado and Kansas in the middle of fucking nowhere. Surprise, surprise, they're not black or Hispanic. Uh, <laughs> right. 
I think a lot of white folk found during the opioid crisis, during the meth crisis, that they are just as willing to rip and steal and violate our civil rights as they are any any minority in this country. Uh, It it is a case that like, yeah, we're all in it together. And I'm not saying that I'm at the same risk of being pulled over on the same risk of being searched. I'm just saying if I got wrong, if I am in that position, they're not going to cut me to benefit the doubt. Because I'm a white guy that does podcasting, they're going to take my 15 grand and they're going to steal. They're going to steal it. Mm-hmm. Um, I might be able to get it back if I can, sh- but it might be gone by the time it gets there. Who knows? Like, oh, I don't know. We only took 10 grand off of you. Yeah, it's like they, they, they play those games. Mm-hmm. So I just disagree with you there, Eric. Um, maybe we'll get feedback on that. Uh, Walt says, as a born and bred Baltimorean who still lives in this city today, I thought I'd offer some subtext to the scene in episode two where Jenkins and a fellow officer are making arrests and a guy speeds past him on a dirt bike. Here they're referencing the 12 o'clock boys with a Z, a group of riders named after their high angle wheelies, which mimic a clock hand pointing upwards. Uh, While it's significant to the show is because in 1999, following an incident that resulted in a man's death, there is a crackdown on police tactics for pursuing these riders and a no chase policy was instituted. As you can probably guess, it hasn't stopped rogue officers from ignoring the mandate and (laughs) continuing their aggressive methods. If you're interested in learning more, I highly recommend the 2013 documentary 12 O'Clock Boys directed by Lofty Nathan. Um, Sounds pretty interesting. I haven't watched that documentary, but I have seen a couple of documentaries on these uh, city bike gangs, four wheeler gangs, uh, ATV gangs. There's one that operates in Cincinnati and Covington. Um, but I mean, it's I don't think it's fucked up that like essentially this crime that there's no way to prosecute this crime. I think that's bullshit. It seems like with cameras and facial recognition technology mm-hmm. and, you know, vehicle registration, you could make you could you could assign six to ten plain clothes cops and like shut this shit down in like a month or two but that shit's hard you know busting people for drugs is easy and you might make a career doing that you're not going to make a career you know keeping our cities safe and <laughs> right. less obnoxious from unlicensed off-road vehicle use you know mm-hmm. uh, but it is it's weird because it does get like you know there's been incidences here in Cincinnati where they've shut down a whole freeway to do like wheelies and shit um so it's like, I I don't know, but it's like <laughs> there's when you've got, you know, 180 murders being committed in your city, uh, the bike stuff seems like it's not that big a deal. <laughs> sure. Uh, California Dave, enjoying your coverage of We Own the City and your coverage of episode two. You mentioned we should play or pay our police a couple of times. Uh, kind of kind of regretting that after this 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 uh, episode. Right. I just want to share some numbers on police pay in my area, San Jose, California. Now, granted. One of the most expensive places in the country, oh, yeah. San Jose. Yeah. Uh, heart of Silicon Valley. San Jose was the 10th largest city in the U.S. While we do get to enjoy great weather, it's an expensive place to live. Annual base pay rate for a police officer is 105000 to 164000 Um, They get four-day work weeks, 10-hour shifts. The four days a week is significant because it seems to create a lot of opportunity for overtime. Seven of the 10 top paid city employees worked at the San Jose police. Everyone on the list made over $400,000 in 2020. Seven out of the 10 top paid city employees worked as a police. Even in San Jose, 400K will go pretty far. I, I mean, most of the tech guys, most of the tech guys working there are making 400K a year. Not unless you found it some shit. 
Yeah. Some are top officials, but at least one on the list is a regular beat cop, and he made four hundred fifty-three thousand dollars in two thousand twenty oh, with Jesus. a base salary in the mid to low hundreds. It seems reasonable to assume more than a few make over two thousand a year, two hundred thousand a year. Is that too much or too little? I don't know, but I think most people, even out here, find those numbers surprising. P.S. Civil asset forfeiture and the police unions are the devil. No, man, I agree. I was running off outdated information that these cops got paid yeah. 40, 50, like a school teacher, you know, salary. And yeah, mm-hmm. with overtime, they can maybe juice that up to eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000, which is still you not get by, lo- right? getting by in a city. But like mm-hmm. I... My my yeah the and and this makes sense like you we think of like you, you hear a lot of times like police budget like the police budget of I, I just recently saw the police budget of L A is like two or three times the uh the military budget for um Ukraine <laughs> Jesus okay who is with again some some nato help successfully repelling an invasion from the fucking russians uh yeah that's kind of crazy i think it uh, is I, how many people live in ukraine i don't know the the population is probably pretty comparable like 45 right? 50 million oh there's way more uh, way okay. more people yeah like twice as many people there yeah okay but they don't you know the the, and the land mass it's just a much larger place uh yeah that's wild <laughs> And that's where it's like, um, I don't know how successful, I do know how, it's not been very successful, the rhetoric about defunding the cops, uh, defunding Mm -hmm. the police, because like, I understand the idea that you want to pull some of the money that we're paying police and you want to put it to social workers, you want to put it to homeless shelters, you want to, because that's going to ultimately stop. Um, But to me, it's like, it goes back to war on drugs and also the fact that like a lot of, if you want body cameras more training, fire a bunch of cops, rehire a bunch of cops. Uh, that's going to take a bunch of money. It's not going to be free. Mm-hmm. You're not going to save money by doing those things. And I have no problem paying a good cop 170 grand in Baltimore to do their job. To risk their lives. they're doing yeah. it effectively because it is sure. a very, I agree, it is a dangerous job. And it's a job that I'd have a hard time justifying doing myself. So like, Pay these guys what they're worth, 100%. Just shut this bullshit down that's just making everybody worse. Uh, The other reality is, if you shut down the war on drugs, this job becomes a hell of a lot less dangerous. Right. The reason that cops are worried that every track you hear this every traffic stop could be the last one. Last time I, you know, I don't ever go home to my family. The reason that's true is because if you got 40 pounds of dope in your trunk, Mm -hmm. The charges for murdering the officer coming up to your car to bust you are going to be less than the weight you're you know doing for that. Like right. so, there's like right. an incentive to flee. There's an incentive to shoot. There's an incentive to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, get your your stash house armed to the teeth. Uh, so when cop, you know, as I'm saying, like, yeah, uh, and to the fact to to and when you have police officers intentionally blurring the lines between patrol officers and plainclothes officers and undercover officers and people serving warrants and doing official police work you're going to have more and more bodies. So it's like what we're doing is not working. It's making the cops job more harder. It's making it more dangerous. It's like, we're doing it to ourselves. We're collectively, that's the thing, but the, the, the people in the system you would think would want to have a system that functioned better, made their jobs safer, but there's this strange incentive out there to make the job more dangerous, work harder, work more because the pay goes up, right? If you can justify 
like in your your union negotiations with the city say hey this job is extremely dangerous look at these crime statistics right look sure. it keeps going up keeps getting worse we need more guys they need to be paid more we need more yeah. equipment they have no incentive to fix this. The unions have no incentive to fix this because their guys are, are making bank off of it. And and, yeah. if they, and if the guys aren't so afraid for their lives because they've got, you know, tactical gear just on their, on their guys who are just standing on the corner helping yeah. people out, if they've got all the tactical gear and automatic machine guns and shit like that, uh, tanks, literal tanks in some cases, right. like, what do they care? Like the job isn't actually getting more dangerous if they've got all this equipment. So just keep saying it is and justify the extra cost. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality is uh, getting, uh, you know, one of those MRAPs uh, issued to your department is essentially free because uh, mm-hmm. the war on terror <laughs> really, right, really gave a lot of sur- surplus for, on that. Yeah. Giving a giving a cop a shotgun and an assault rifle and a level three bulletproof vest for for every squad car is cheap. Getting a, a police a, a police that can solve a murder is hard, you know. Um, yeah, apparently it's it's hard when when you have so many focused on doing other shit. So I don't know. It's like I. Uh, it's wild. We we it didn't take us this long to realize that uh, alcohol was tearing our country apart and making the streets run red with blood and guns. Uh, it's taken us a lot longer to make the same um, realization about drugs. It's probably the because of the huge it, racial component in the beginning. But I feel like yeah, white yeah. folks have really totally. got really caught up, really caught up to the averages uh, with the meth and opioid uh, crisis, and it's time for us all to kind of wake up about that. The, you can't imprison millions at the same time too like it's not just the the bodies and the you know it's 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 the um it's the erosion of our trust and our civic authorities it's the fact that like mm-hmm. we have you know millions of people who are felons now that wouldn't or, uh, uh otherwise be um it's just a it's just a fucking tragedy all around and no as a taxpayer like you talk about all these uh wrongful arrest uh lawsuits right that they're having to pay out settlements for the city has to pay those out as a taxpayer. I would much rather than pay out wrongful firings for the union. Sure. Then pay out these, these fees on what, what makes our cities fundamentally worse. I'd rather fire the wrong cop a couple times and have that blow back on us and pay the million dollars to them as opposed to having these guys out on the streets. Or if it's like, because like, you know, um, it turns out it's actually, it, believe it or not, it's more expensive to execute a person than it is to keep them in life in prison. And it's it's about the appeals process and how much judicial work is involved in like doing mm. all that. Uh-huh. If it turns out like if we want to bust a guy down, a, a bad cop down to desk duty uh, and where they're not eligible for overtime and they're going to finish out the rest of their career making, you know, seventy five, eighty thousand dollars like that might suck for another until they get to retirement year. But if it's, it, if, if that, you know, is seen as a, as a penalty to keep them off the streets and keeps them from lining their pockets. Like I'm cool yeah. with that. Like there's multiple, exactly. Multiple I want to pay for good policing. I hate paying for this bad shit. That's happening. Or yeah. Imagine if you had to play a Herschel Herschel, a uh, million dollars to make him go away. And the guys I'd do it. Racked up $25 million right? in police complaint money over the years. Like that's a net savings, you know? Mm-hmm. Like Jesus Christ, they don't. I don't need these guys at a, on a firing squad. I just need them off the streets. Because right. that's the other, the, the, the completely nihilistic thing that I, I'm not 
considered in all of this is how worthless it makes police work. Um, mm-hmm. That you get to a situation where, like, it's it's not only do you have these officers who anything that they touch is unprosecutable, mm-hmm. and they're still on the streets prosecuting it, but that that gets known to the city to where even the good cops that don't do that stuff, you can't trust that they're good cops because hell, we got our hero cops running around doing this shit. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Thank you, David Simon and George Pelicanos, for depressing the hell out of me for another week. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about, Jim? No, I'm good. All right, corners at baldmove.com is how you send us feedback. We got two more weeks to consult and talk about this. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm I I'm really curious about like what I I then the, the clearly the other shoe to drop is this drug thing. Because I think yep. that's going to be With shocking Shropshire. to even even corrupt cops. Not not just mm-hmm. that, but like that Wayne is become perhaps one of the largest drug dealers in Baltimore. Oh, you think so? Okay. Because I, I do think that like, yeah, like the cops, they're they're you, you can see with war, there's a fundamental difference. Like, well, yeah, we tax drug dealers, that's what we do, mm-hmm. versus we're now taking these kilos and moving them back on the street, you know? Well, and, and the other side of that is Gondo, who's actively working with the drug dealers, right? It's not even that he's he's not taxing them. He's working with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, I think that's the other shoe that's that's yet to drop. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see how that goes. Uh, all right, that's it. That's it for We Own. Uh, we're taking back our corners. We'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, send in that feedback to corners at baldmove.com. Until next time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you.